We are in the fourth Sunday of Advent, and we are looking at the fact that the birth of Jesus is the most disruptive event in all of history. And I I really want to impress that upon you and think about it, because sometimes we think we're in a very disruptive time, and we are. And generations in the past have been in very disruptive times. But if we think about the impact, both positive and negative, of the birth of Jesus on the world, this was the most disruptive event in all of history. Some people have taken that event and done awful things with it in the name of Jesus. And others have taken that event and done beautiful, life-giving things in the name of Jesus. We want to be on this side. The beautiful, life-giving things. The loving one another. The loving our neighbor. The creation of things that are good and beautiful and truthful. That's what we want to do. But this was the most disruptive event in all of human history. And we get a, a taste of that in the characters that are around the story at Christmas time. And so we've been seeing characters like Simeon. Simeon, who had his time disrupted. His time was reordered. It went from daily appointments to divine appointment. That's part of my prayer for you over this Christmas time, is that our daily, just mundane appointments, the, the checking off the calendar, the, the checking off of our list, will be interrupted by God, by a God moment, by a divine appointment, and that you'll be very, very aware of it, just like Simeon was. Or Joseph. Joseph has his plans reordered. Joseph was a man with a plan, right? And then when that didn't work out, he was a man with a second plan. And then that didn't work out, so what happened? God gave him a plan. And that's my hope for us too, that in all of our plans, and we've had plans disrupted, especially the last couple of years, right? In the midst of all this, that we will know that God is ordering our steps and that we'll have faith in that. Or how about the shepherds who are just going about their regular, smelly, stinky work of taking care of sheep? Have you ever taken care of sheep? I had a taste of it one time. Me and a buddy, when we were in youth group, they had these slave auctions. I know it sounds really weird, but that's how they raised money. They auctioned us off to do random jobs for the people in the congregation. And we got shipped out to this farm, me and my buddy Joel, and we were told to clean out this little barn. We thought, how hard could it be? When we got in there, the ceiling seemed very, very low. But the ceiling wasn't low at all. It was just the floor was very high in more ways than one. And we had to scrape that barn to the floor. He had a tractor. I don't know why he didn't use it. But anyway, shepherds going about their daily stinky work And they had their work reordered by divine intervention, right? They went from mundane tasks to miraculous tales. They went out with joy, sharing the good news about Jesus. And so all of these things, we see the impact of Jesus on the lives of those closest and the impact that Jesus still has on all of us today. Well, today we look at Mary. Mary has her relationships reordered. She goes from virgin bride to mother of the savior of the world. That's a massive change, right? And so we have to look at Mary. In fact, we can't really enter into the Christmas story without spending some time with Mary. Now, here's where we have a bit of a dilemma as Christians worldwide. And some of you might uh, understand this as I explain it to you. Uh, When my parents were married in Glasgow, Scotland, they had a difficulty because My dad was Protestant, and my mom was Catholic. 
And that was not allowed, like literally not allowed. They were both kicked out of their churches once they got married. And in fact, the priest came up to my dad and said, you're living in sin. And so my dad literally kicked him down the stairs and across the street. But that's another story altogether. Um, so one supported uh, Glasgow Rangers football club and the other Glasgow Celtic football club. And there was some tension there. Well, there's also some tension when it comes to talking about Mary within the church. I think my Catholic side of the family maybe exalts Mary a little bit too much, perhaps. I remember driving through Ireland I, when I had a, a break in, in uh, college in Scotland. I'd spent some time in Ireland. And I was in Southern Ireland driving down, and on the side of this green hill, every hill is a green hill, but on the side of this green hill, in white stone, were the word, words co-mediatrix, co-redemptrix. Uh, first of all, I was really impressed because that took a lot of rocks that were painted white, I think. Uh, those are big words. What were they meaning? Basically, they were saying that Mary is a co-mediator along with Jesus, and Mary is a co-redeemer along with Jesus. And so in some parts of the Catholic Church, they would exalt Mary to that status. Now, we believe, biblically speaking, that there's only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and that there's only one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. And so we want to kind of step back from that exalted position of Mary. But here's what we sometimes do. We ignore her. <laughs> so we forget about her altogether as Protestants. Uh, we're protesting the, the exaltation of Mary. And so we kind of gloss over the importance that she has. In the passage that was read for us, there's a word used in Greek that's only used here of Mary. And it's very, very interesting. It first starts with a greeting. And the greeting is literally, hail. It's a greeting that you'd use for nobility. Uh, people would say, hail Caesar. And so this, the angel's greeting to Mary started with, hail. No wonder she was surprised. Can you imagine? She's a teenager in a small town. She's an unknown and suddenly this angel appears and greets her like she's royalty. Hail. And then the angel goes on to use an expression that just means full of grace. Doesn't even say Mary. Just says, hail full of grace, as if it's a proper noun. That's her new name. She is now full of grace. There is something about Mary. Something very special. Something very unique. And the angel draws our attention to that. What I want to draw our attention to in this passage, though, is the way that love is shown through this story, and especially through Mary. When we talk about relationships, we need to talk about love. And Mary shows us the way of love. So here's three ways that we see love shining through in this story of Mary, full of grace. First of all, in Mary's obedience. Now, we talked about this before. Obedience seems like a weird word to put in the same sentence as love. It doesn't feel like love. How, how is love and obedience in any way related? I know when, when we do weddings now, we've removed that part that says to love and obey your husband. And it's probably a good thing that we did that because it's open to all kinds of abuses. Doug is looking at Caddy and said, we did? <laughs> I thought we kept that one in. No, that's out. Um, so because we, we wrestle with the implications of obedience in relationships of love. And yet this is not the obedience of a slave to a master. 
It's not the obedience of a brainwashed follower to a cult leader. That's not the kind of obedience. In fact, all of the characters around the story of Jesus, they show this obedience as an act of love. The way that they're given instructions that are way beyond their ability to comprehend. And yet, in faith, they obey as an act of love. It's not robotic. It's an act of the human will in response to trust. That's the love that we show in obedience. Some people know the movie The Princess Bride, right? We, uh, we talked about um, some favorite Christmas movies like Die Hard and others. Um, but uh, this is another one of my favorite movies is The Princess Bride. And I won't give you all the details. Some of you know the movie. But basically, Wesley is a poor farm boy, right? And he's in love with a girl that's, that's of higher status than he is. Eventually, she's taken away to marry the king. And that's the whole part of the story is Wesley eventually trying to get her back. But Wesley has a catchphrase. What is it? Somebody knows it. As you wish. And he says that when he's just a farmhand and he's trying to win her favor because she's really bossy, bossing him around all the time. And all he ever says is, as you wish. Later on in the movie, as he's being thrown down a hillside, tumbling um, you know, head over heels, he yells out, as you wish. You can picture the scene, some of you, right? What did that mean? Well, Grandpa, who is the narrator in the movie, says this. That day, she was amazed to discover that when Wesley was saying, as you wish, what he meant was, I love you, right? Uh, it's an act of, of love. And that's where we find Mary. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Obedience as an act of love. This is what Jesus says. If you love me, do what? Keep my commands. What are my commands? Love one another. <laughs> how do we show that we love God? By loving one another. That's how we keep his commands. So that's the first way we see love displayed in this passage is in Mary's obedience. But the second way is this. In Elizabeth's response... This is a really touching relationship that Mary and Elizabeth must have. We're, we're told that they are cousins or relatives. We're not sure how it all fits together. And that word cousin, I think, is used fairly loosely sometimes. So Mary and Elizabeth were somehow related, even though we don't know how. But the more important point is they both had miraculous pregnancies. Mary in her youth and Elizabeth in her old age. That's their common bond. Now, old age is a relative term, right? You ever, do you realize how old age and that, that qualifier of old age works? If I want to feel old, I hang out with Eric McComish. <laughs> if I want to feel young, I have coffee with Doug. But no, I'll stop picking on you, Doug, one day when I retire. But it, So it's a relative term. I know that some extra-biblical texts say that Elizabeth was 88 years old. That would be something, wouldn't it, um, to have a child at 88? But people, uh, some commentators would say maybe she was around 60 or somewhere in that age. In other words, she was beyond the normal time that you'd expect a woman to carry a child. That's what it's meant by old age. But now, Elizabeth, who was said to be unable to conceive, is now in her sixth month. Did you pick up that line in the passage? who is said to be unable to conceive. That was the talk of the town. 
When people said, Elizabeth, is it this Elizabeth or that Elizabeth? Oh, no, it's the one who can't conceive. Can you feel her shame? I mean, women today, those who can't conceive or have a hard time, they carry a deep, deep hurt and a deep wound that often goes unnoticed and unseen. At this time, in the time of Jesus, uh, people and women who couldn't conceive, they were seen to be cursed by God. Like, what did she do that God isn't blessing her? And she would have to carry that her whole entire life, up until now. Now she could go around town and everybody would say, wow, that's Elizabeth, the miracle baby, right? This was her moment. This was her time to shine. And all of a sudden, Mary comes in and steals the spotlight. How does that feel? Can you imagine? Elizabeth is like, Mary, just stay away a little longer. Let me enjoy the limelight. Let me enjoy the blessing and the praise of people around me. Is that what Elizabeth does? No, this is what she does. In a loud voice, in other words, for everyone to hear, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What an amazing response. The response of Elizabeth is an act of love. Why? Because love does not envy. Love is not proud. Love does not boast. And this is the response of Elizabeth. Love causes us to celebrate the blessings of God in the lives of others. That's how we know that we're maturing in love. If we're having a hard time, if we're not seeing a lot of blessings or favor, if we're struggling, but yet we can still celebrate the blessings that we see in the lives of others, that's love. That's what Elizabeth does here. She loves Mary, and she loves what God is doing in Mary's life, and she expresses it. Elizabeth the older submits to Mary the younger, and so these relationships are reordered because of love. A third thing. Not only do we see love in Mary's obedience and in Elizabeth's response, but also we see love in Mary's sacrifice. When Mary, later on, if we kept reading the passage, we'd come across Simeon again. And Mary is taking, taking the baby Jesus uh, to the temple. And Simeon takes Jesus in his arms. And what does he say? He says this, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that we will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul too. What a thing to say when Jesus was just a baby. I'm sure Mary had already experienced the sacrifice of obedience. Because just as the shame of Elizabeth is removed, now Mary bears the shame of being pregnant during the betrothal period. There's already a sacrifice involved. She had to endure the scandal of being pregnant during her engagement to Joseph. But a greater suffering was still to come, and we see that. Mary shows up all the way through the gospel. She, she supports her son all the way through, through good times and through bad times. And she eventually finds herself at the foot of the cross. There's lots of religious art about Mary, and you can go home and look at some of them and maybe even reflect on them. The Annunciation, which is what we read today, uh, figures highly in that. There's also the visit to Elizabeth or the very birth of Jesus. It's all captured in, in religious art. 
But the most moving and profound, I think, is Mary at the foot of the cross. Mary with her son hanging on the cross. All the hopes that she had for him. All the things that she treasured up in her heart. All the dreams that she had. And yet not knowing full, the full story. And yet coming to the foot of the cross, she was still there. John chapter 19 says, Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. His mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clophas, and Mary Magdalene. They're all called Mary. Uh, which in Hebrew is Miriam, by the way. But uh, it's, they could maybe find another name. But lots of Marys around the cross, including the mother of Jesus. And listen to this. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his own home. What an expression of love. In, in the midst of his suffering, in the midst of his pain, He's taking care of his mom. He's taking care of his mother. What a beautiful expression of love that we find in this moment. But it's in that moment that the, the sword pierces Mary's heart as well. This is the sacrifice of love that a mother bears. John Bloom says this, As God works out his salvation of sinners, he leads us along unexpected paths that result in unexpected and sometimes agonizing pain, and when it does, we can remember Mary. The darkest moment of her life, the sword that stabbed deepest into her soul, was the very moment that God used most to bring salvation and joy to the world and to her. Those dark moments of Mary, the sword that pierced her own heart, was the very moment that God brought salvation to us and also to Mary. In that moment at the cross, Mary's relationship was reordered as her son became her savior. What an amazing thing happened. So Mary's life, like our lives, uh, were disrupted by the birth of Jesus. And yet it's in this disruption that she learns her true identity. Favored by God, the mother of Jesus, the servant of the Most High, and sinner at the cross. She discovers herself in the midst of this, this disruption. We live in a time of great disruption, and we continue to do so, and, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of end in sight. Uh, there's going to be disruption heading into the new year as well. Remember this time last year, we're all saying, oh, I can't wait for January, and this will all be over. I don't know why we thought that, um, but just mysteriously, it would vaporize and disappear. But now we know we might be in this for the long haul, this constant feeling of disruption. My invitation is, to ask the question, what is this revealing about my identity? What is God showing me about myself during this time of disruption? And how is love being revealed in our lives as we respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit during this time? Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you so loved this world that you sent your one and only Son. Thank you that he didn't stay in the cradle, but that he went all the way to the cross. And in humility and great sacrifice, he showed us the way of love, the path to salvation. Father, help us during these times never to lose sight of that, 
Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Teach us who we are by your grace and grant us the strength to follow in obedience. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.